This morning we continue uh, working our way through this dialogue of Jesus Christ with his disciples where he is trying to, to really uh, present a very coherent, uh, and though repetitive here, a coherent uh, structure of the Christian life that they're going to engage in once he is gone. And I want to just remind you of what we studied several weeks ago, that his absence was not a deterrent to their Christian life, but was actually a benefit for their Christian life, that as he arrives in heaven, uh, where he applies the sacrifice there and serves as our mediator, as our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews, we have also the sending of Holy Spirit that equips and enables us to minister on a new level, a level that really, until Acts 2, uh, was foreign to the 12 disciples. Even as they walked with Jesus, he said, it is to your benefit, it is better for you that I go away so that the Spirit of God can come. And this foundation we have laid, remember that as we respond to Jesus Christ's sacrifice and who he is and what he has done for us by faith believing at following after him, that he um, responds to our faith by giving us his Holy Spirit. And on the, on the basis of his Holy Spirit, we are now given some instructions. And those instructions uh, are all for us to engage in and to choose to participate in or to ignore. Uh, but there are consequences to ignoring God's word. And that consequence is that you will have an inactive, an ineffectual, a, a frustrating prayer life, that you will ask amiss, that you will, will not ask at all many times, will just become absent, and where you will um, not receive what you ask for because you ask for your own fleshly interests. And so we find that uh, that is not really God's design for us. He designs for us, his design for us is that we ask and receive. And when that is not our experience, we often point the finger at God and says, what is wrong with you? Uh, rather than evaluating ourselves and say, what is wrong with me? What am, what, what's going on in my life that my prayer life is so pathetic? Well, active prayer life is to produce something in us, and that ultimate evidence that's there is perfect peace, that is fullness of joy, that is the Father's love. So this is the objective of Jesus Christ throughout these entire passages. You've heard me say this whole spiel before. It's not a spiel, by the way. Um, you've heard me say all this before. I'm going to keep saying it as we go through this passage. I want it to be ingrained in your mind, this structure. Um, these are not independent ideas that float off and do their own thing. They are all tied into one another. They are independent. They are dependent upon one another and, and intertwined to one another. And thus we cannot think that we are going to do these things without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot uh, think that we can have others do these things who have not received the Holy Spirit. We call them not to uh, be obedient to these instructions. We call them to believe in Jesus Christ. Their obedience to the instructions is dependent upon their relationship with Holy Spirit. They have to receive Him. Now, we come to the uh, calling of God. We come to another facet of Christian living that is certainly connected to what we've already studied. We've already looked at the need to further believe that beyond salvific belief, we need to truly trust that God is God and really wants all these good things in our life. He wants us to have joy, peace, and love, that this is what he wants to respond to our praying. He desires for us to have a victorious Christian life. This is who he is and what he wants, that we truly need to believe that, and that would move us to ask that would move us to seek his will. That would move us to, in that direction, that kind of belief. That is another level of belief beyond salvific faith. We then looked at obedience last week and the need to be obedient. And certainly what we're going to talk about today is an expression of obedience. But I want to look at just one 
phrase that I did not spend well much time on in chapter 14. We have discussed it and we're going to explore it more fully this morning. In <clears throat> chapter 14, I want to pick up in verse 12. Well, no, let's, pick, let's, let's go back to verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. It is sufficient for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long? And you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will, that I will do, and the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We have studied this somewhat already in the context of, do you really believe? But we want to talk today about the works that we are called to do. That this is one of the aspects of Christian living that needs to be activated in our lives if we are going to have uh, a, a productive and beneficial prayer life. If we're going to truly have effectual praying, we should be doing the works of God. Not just the, we talked about the belief necessary to do this two weeks ago, uh, we, but, and the necessity of obedience last week. Now we want to explore this a little deeper. What are these works of God that he wants us to do that he describes as even greater than his works? Now, when we look at Jesus' works, we say, well, these are like healing the blind and causing the lame to walk. This is raising the dead. This is, this is casting out spirits. This is, these are the works that Jesus is referring to. And pastors, should we be out there doing these things? Well, certainly the disciples exemplified that they did, in fact, do these things. They did raise people from the dead. In fact, remember that when Peter was walking through, that people were getting healed all over the place. Uh, just by a shadow and, and by handkerchiefs that he had touched and things like that, we have that recorded for us in the apostolic era that that was actively going on. And remember, Jesus' conversation here is with his disciples. But the question is, were these the works that were greater than? And as we go in through the course of the book of Acts, and as the gospel begins to spread beyond the vicinity of Jerusalem and Judea, when it starts to spread up into Antioch and then across into Asia Minor and over into Greece and down into Africa, and, and we start to see the spread of the gospel, one of the fascinating elements is the <laughs> diminishing of those kinds of works. You say they diminished? Certainly. In fact, Paul, in his early ministry, uh, had a struggle. He had a struggle. And what was that struggle with? Well, he healed somebody, and everyone in the crowd wanted to worship him and Barnabas. The gods have come down among us. And they did everything they could to keep them from offering sacrifices to them. It was totally misconstrued by a predominantly Gentile audience. They begin to glorify the men instead of, what is the purpose of the works? That the Father may be glorified. And so these men had to strip off their clothes, run through the, run through the crowd, saying, we are men just like you. Don't do this hideous thing. And interestingly enough, just a little while later, just a few days or weeks later, this same kind of religious mob is going to stone them. They're going to throw them out of their city and chase them to the next one. And you'll find throughout the ministry of Paul that he begins to rely less and less and less on these and more and more. When he goes to Athens, does he perform miracles of that nature? No, he goes into their place of worship, kind of challenging. He goes to their place of worship and challenges them. And the only thing he talks about that would be in that category is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some scoffed, and others said, we want to hear more about this. But he reasoned with them from the scriptures and from their own 
false worship and from their own patterns, he reasoned with them that there is only one true God. And he is the one that you don't even know his name. And so we find that while there were these elements in Paul, even late in his life, where we find him on the way to Rome and we see God giving him supernatural protection, and again, was that properly received by those who witnessed it? Not really. Did it move them all to convert it to Jesus Christ? No. Um, but it, it told them, we're not going to mess with this guy. And so we look at this we're going to do greater works. And we say, well, we should be doing these works, and we want to go in, we want to tap into these, even though in Scripture these are not what is emphasized following this. As we go into the predominantly Gentile church, these become less and less. Does that mean God does not work miracles? No, I don't believe that. Is it still an aspect? Yes, it should be. This is why we pray. <laughs> We pray for these things. We pray for those that are not well. And James tells us the prayer of the righteous man avails much. And the category that praying he was referring to was that if anyone has an illness, if we are, if we are, we should call the elders, they should anoint you with oil, which was a practice, a medical practice, and pray. And the prayer of the righteous will avail much. It will be for your benefit. And so, yes, we know that God is actively participating in our lives. We believe that he still has the power that he has over this physical world, and certainly we pray that way. And we have, uh, we have limited expectation that way, but we do at least speak the words that way. When I say we have limited expectation, it means that we have two extremes in our society. We have those that, that completely emphasize that and look for, for supernatural healing as the only evidence of the Holy Spirit. And in that category, we have many, many charlatans taking advantage of people. But in our knee-jerk reaction to that, we come way over here, we don't really believe any of it. That God ever heals. That God ever supernaturally intervenes in people's lives. And that is just as much a charlatan because you're saying you believe in God, but you don't really. This goes back to a couple weeks ago when we talked about you need to believe. Do we really trust that God is an active agent on our behalf in this world? And it is evidenced in our praying, not just the words, but our trust in him in this respect. And so can we cite instances in which God has done some supernatural things, that inexplicable things in people's bodies and lives and circumstances? Absolutely. Who receives the glory for that is not that person. It's not that prayer. It's the Father. That is who is to receive the glory. That is the purpose of those works. And so I want to lay that foundation there, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, not because I don't believe it's possible, but because I think we have other problems. Our other problems is that that kind of praying is dependent upon a, a, a Christian life that we are disconnected from. And we're going to address that when we get into chapter 15, 16, and the weeks to come. But there is a, another category of works that I find very few Christians seeking, that are pursuing them. And these are more miraculous than these physical miracles that we often want to be able to see and experience. And they really begin with the commands of God. Remember we said we're going to obey his commands last week. So let's look at some of the commands of God in a different realm than the idea of healing people physically. And by the way, Jesus Christ 
all of his miracles, in the end, did not keep the mob from yelling out, crucify him. Did not convert the religious leaders of Israel. Did not bring people to the highest level of faith. His, remember, believing the works was the lowest level of faith. Believe my word is a higher level of faith. Believe in me is the highest level of faith. So why is it that we as Christians want to focus in and center on that if we could only do these things that everyone would believe that's not true? Because Christ did do those things and people didn't believe. The apostles did do those things and people still got it wrong. Even the ones that believed in the works later said crucify him. Because they didn't believe the word and they didn't believe in him. So we want to raise this bar. Not that we are saying that, the, that those kinds of physical works don't count. They are there. And God is still an active agent in this world and is more than capable of moving mountains. says so. But the question for us in evaluating a study like this is why is it that that's the only place we emphasize the works of God? For we have greater works than these. I want to share with you something about Lazarus. He's dead. Was he raised from the dead by Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Church tradition says that he was killed even before Christ raised again by the Jews. Because remember, when they saw Jesus, they also wanted to kill Lazarus. We don't know when that happened, but we know that Lazarus isn't alive today, correct? We know that all the people that had their, their sight restored, had their leprosy taken away, that had all of these things happen, they're all dead. Right? Their, their bodies aren't, aren't still here functioning. And so those sign gifts for Israel, was specifically told, are temporal. This, kind, this is not the greater work that glorifies the Father. The much greater work that glorifies the Father is that which brings eternal life. Hence, what's the first, one of the primary commands for the church is what? Go and make disciples uh, of every nation, baptize them, and teach them everything I've commanded you. That's his command. This is a work of God. That we go out to them, not just invite them into here, but go out to them. We make disciples, that is that we invite them to become followers of Jesus Christ, we confront them with the, their need for a Savior. We confront them with the provision of the Savior. And we invite them to follow the Savior. And then we have them, once they have chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ, we baptize them. And baptism is a powerful work of the church. And we have relegated to ritual. This is a work that glorifies the Father. It is a declaration to people that I have been transformed by God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live to him. This is the declaration of baptism. It has always been that, biblically. And so, as we have followers of Jesus Christ, we baptize them, and then we teach them everything God has commanded, which is what I keep doing. That's what we're doing here. These are the commands of God. This is a greater work that you could do for anyone than healing their stubbed toe. Or cancer, it doesn't matter what the spectrum is, right? It's all physical, and it's all temporal. We know that... Our trust isn't in this flesh. It's not in this physical world. I can never quite figure out Christians who go to the nth degree to try to squeeze out an extra week or two of life in this world. Why? I want to go home. I'm not attached here much. 
<laughs> I shouldn't be attached. But we have so emphasized these that we have missed the fact that we have an opportunity to do a greater work, one that has eternal benefit. To take someone who was destined and, and on this wide road to destruction and communicate to them the gospel to bring them to become followers of Jesus Christ and, and to introduce them to the narrow way that few there be that find it. But praise God, you can be one of those. Choose that today. They receive Christ and we get to then disciple them to instruct them the things God commanded that they might mature as followers of Jesus Christ and multiply themselves. This is a greater work than anything you can engage in on this earth. It is the highest work. It is the greatest calling of God in your life. For the balance of your days, from the day you receive and become a follower of Jesus Christ until you die, the greatest endeavor of life is to communicate the gospel to others that they might be delivered. And I want to share with you something. We hear about people trying to set up legacies to themselves here. And, and we have every mayor, I think, that comes to Albuquerque wants to set up a legacy. That's why we are stuck with art. And that's why we have a lot of other things that are weird. They want to set up something that defines them when they were mayor. So everyone can remember. Well, we all remember. Okay. You know, and not necessarily for good things. And people build giant structures. They try to break records. They try to put themselves into this category, that category, so that they can have a legacy here on earth. I want to share with you, when you, re when you are responsible, when you are the one who communicates the gospel to others that they believe, you have an eternal legacy for real. Statues... Don't mean much. We are in a time period where we're trying to rewrite history or just try to obliterate our history as a nation. So we're tearing down statues and plaques and things like that and and because we can't uh, appreciate our historical place. And so political correctness means we got to destroy all these things. And, um, and that's all it takes is one generation to decide, I don't want it, and all those things that, all those structures, all those things you thought would last forever so we could always remember are gone. But when you get to heaven and there's someone there because you shared the gospel with them, that is an eternal reward that never diminishes. And that we, we, there's a great little song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord, um, which talks to this issue. This is a work greater than anything you can do, and yet it penetrates so little of our prayers. We have our prayer service from 530 to 6 here. We take requests the first five or ten minutes, and then we break up into prayer. Um, it is a, a small, very, very small group because prayer isn't a priority to us. We don't really believe in it um, individually or corporately, um, but we have these requests. And, and invariably, the requests uh, are for physical needs. Um, this person has cancer. This person has a surgery. This person has a baby. This person has this. This person has an injury. This person has that. And um, the requests for salvation are rare, few, and far between. This person needs the Lord. 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 You tell me that your praying isn't materialistic and has lost track of the greatest work given to the church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform lives, not just for a few years on earth, but forever in the presence of God. This is the greatest work. And so he says, will you do greater works? Yes. What was the greatest work? Once the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, what was the greatest work? It wasn't speaking in tongues. That was just a mechanism to allow the greatest work to happen. That was a tool 
so that all these people from all these different lands could all what? Hear the gospel in their own language. Not gibberish, their own language. We emphasize the mechanism instead of the purpose. The work wasn't speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues was the tool to accomplish the work. When I get done building something, I don't go over to my saw and hammer and say, oh, you're great, wow, that's tremendous. My family doesn't go over and look at my saw hammers and say, wow, they're spectacular. Oh, no, they go and they look at the building and they say, wow, this is nice. But we have focused in on the saw and the hammer. we got to speak in tongues, which now means gibberish instead of other languages. They spoke in other languages. Yes, there was a miracle there of the Holy Spirit's working that Israel was supposed to look for, but it was simply a tool. What was the real wonderful work? People heard the gospel in their own language. It was the sermon that was the work. The people were cut to their heart and said, what must we do? And we have confused the tool with the work. Even when Saul, Paul and Silas are in jail and the earthquake comes and breaks loose their bands and the Philippian jailer is ready to fall on his sword, that was just a tool to get his attention. What was the work? Was the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? And the rest of the night was spectacular. And very much overshadowed the little earthquake that broke open their, the jail cells. Because with many other words, he didn't just say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in the house. And then he says, with many other words. Similarly, with, with Cornelius and Peter, that was just a tool to get Peter's attention and to bring these two together so that these people could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the work that we are called to do. It should penetrate our lives. It should define who we are. I am an evangelist for Jesus Christ. I am a, an ambassador of his kingdom. That is my primary desire. No matter where I go, whether it's shopping, whether it's at work, whether it's in my home, whether it's in my neighborhood, whether it's in, wherever I find myself, that should be the primary thing I want to see accomplished. And it's rare. But it is the greatest work, and it is growing rarer in our lives. Yes, I understand people don't want to hear it. I understand that we live in a society that has said, keep that to yourself. But we have a God that said, don't keep it to yourself. Do the greatest work. The greatest work is to share and invite people to make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. So we have that spectacular work that we're supposed to be involved in. And shame on us if we complain that our prayers are ineffectual and weak when we are unwilling to share the gospel with anyone around us. When we begin making that a priority in our life, our prayers are transformed from worrying about these sickly, puny, little temporal bodies to thinking about men's souls. Where does that penetrate our praying? So that is one category of the works that I think are greater than the sign gifts for Israel that Jesus performed. And there is another category of works. I've already quoted from Matthew. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. John is, or sorry, Paul has already communicated that he will be all things to all men, that they might be saved. That he will seek to uh, engage people in a manner that would, with an aspiration, a goal for their deliverance. And he communicates that in chapter uh, 10, 11, chapter, um, the end of chapter 10. Uh, just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. 
That was his primary objective, but he understood a secondary objective, and he describes that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He also communicates it in Romans chapter 12, and that is a wonderful work. Remember that in our structure, we have the Father sends the Son. The Son provides salvation. We believe in Him and follow after Him. We become followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, and we receive Holy Spirit. One facet of Holy Spirit's entry into our lives is that He gifts us. We are received from His hand various gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it is now uh, our privilege <laughs> to exercise those spiritual gifts. And I would contend with you that exercising your spiritual gift within the context of the community of saints is a greater work than raising men from the dead who will die again physically to give them a few more weeks or months of life. In the context of the church, and the community of saints, exercising your spiritual gifts is greater than healing their physical bodies. And so we have this in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 as well. Uh, for as we are one body, I'm picking up verse 12, 12, 12. For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they are, were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal and though I have the gift of prophecy understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love I am nothing and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love it profits me nothing I'm gonna stop right there you know the rest of the chapter what is the emphasis here that we look to the miraculous things and we make them emphatic when we forget that the drive of exercising spiritual gifts is my love for my brethren. And it is culminated in that one little phrase here in verse 25 that we should have the same care for one another. That if we have genuinely experienced Holy Spirit, have received His gifts, which are not equated with at all, and I'm convinced this more and more as I go through life, that your talents are uh, inhibit bringing glory to God. Gifts multiply glorifying the Father. Because you can honestly say, oh, I'm really uncomfortable doing this, but it's God's blessed this and he's working through this and so it's all God. Where I am weak, 
He is strong and he receives the glory. If I just function in the church according to my natural strengths, guess who gets the glory? My natural man. It is when I function out of love for one another within the body of saints, outside of my comfort zone, in the, in the category of spiritual gifts, that, and, and that I show genuine care for others, not to my own glory, but simply to the glory of the Father. And this God calls us to, that we love one another sufficiently to minister the gifts toward one another. Not for me. It is not. My, my hand does very little things for itself. In fact, it can't even hardly deal with itself. This hand can't hardly help itself. Maybe it's just hard to do it. If it gets a splinter, my hand can't take the splinter out of its health. Can't do it, can it? I guess maybe if it was there and you had a fingernail or something, you could get it out. But pretty typically, the first thing I do is take another hand. I'll take care of you. And while the other members of my body have wonderful functions, the hands are pretty necessary to help them. What's the good of seeing something? Uh, well, I see that, but and here it comes right at me, but I here comes a rock right to my face. What am I going to do about it? I don't have a body to... You're dead. An eye is a wonderful thing. But it's there to communicate and assist the body and it's the rest of its functions. It cares for the rest. Oh, that we would understand that we are called to be active ministers in the church toward one another, not for our own glory, but for the glory of the Father. And this is a work that is greater. It is greater than the temporal things. Why do you think at first on the list are those that benefit us spiritually? And this is true in Ephesians. We go to Ephesians, we go to Romans, we go every place where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts. And he says, listen, it's the spiritual ones. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, have not love. If I, if I can't touch their hearts, um, I, I'm just making noise. If I'm not here to minister to others, I am just here as a noisy part of this body that's just dead weight being carried around. God calls you to something greater than that. He calls you to do his works. And the works that are necessary is that we are here to serve one another. I have the privilege of that being my, my job is to come here and serve you. You, unfortunately, have a choice a little bit more every Sunday. I don't really have much of a choice because it's my job, but I did make that choice. It's nice that I have the uh, duty to do it every week. And if I stopped, you guys would get a little upset. Although, if I just did a poor job and just got done like in 20 minutes, you guys would be happy, which I don't understand that very much. But, but somehow churches get out early, they're happy, instead of, I got ripped off, you know. Um, and pastors aren't doing a good job. That's what should be our perspective, but it's not. So I have a duty to be here. And so I don't sit there and wonder during the week, well, do I want to serve God this week or not? Do I want to serve the church this week or not? I don't really have that, um, but you do. You do. You have it on you on a different level than I have. Um, I made that commitment when, and, and, and the commitment itself back then to become uh, a pastor, uh, put it upon me, but even then the Bible says when you've done everything that, that God has commanded, our response to God, I've only done what is my duty to do. I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done what I have to do. Uh, but the question is, what if we're doing nothing? And there is no part of your body that has zero purpose. 
Um, we were talking about someone who had lost their big toe and how hard it made their life because they had no balance without big toes. Just lose a toe and see how difficult your life becomes. And yet we remove ourselves from ministry um, for all selfish reasons, frankly, because we love ourselves and we don't love one another. And so when we talk about doing the works of God, we're talking, and remember, built upon having Holy Spirit in our life, which means we're already gifted. And so now we should be exercising the gifts to care for one another. And the only driving motivation for that is love. But we've already experienced the love of God. We're trying to move from being the recipients of his love to having a full, a full expression of that in our life. And the, the avenue through which that happens is ministry. And everyone who claims the name of Christ should be engaged in ministry. Is it all the same? No. That's the whole point of Romans 12 and Ephesians, that, that there's a variety None of these lists are, are complete. Um, they are things beyond these lists. And some people have, well, you have to fit into one of these things on these lists. Nonsense. These, none of these lists are exhaustive. That's not their job. They're just giving you a selection. Here's some. Whatever your spiritual gift is, you should be using it to care for one another. And if you don't have that level of love, that you can even care for others, then... How can you expect your prayer life to ever be effectual? Because it is intercessory prayer. That is, I'm praying on your behalf. I'm going to pray for you. But if our prayers are always selfish, we are demonstrating that we don't really have the love of God in us. That we're not really caring for one another. We're caring for ourselves. And this is really wrapped up in the idea of James that our prayers are, are only about ourselves, our own interests, and about this world. And we're not exploring the fact that we should be engaged in caring for the other believers around us on a level that's called sacrifice. Are you prepared to do the works of God? Are you prepared for the cost to serve others. That says, my interests aren't really that important, and uh, here's what I'd rather do with them. Our world knows that sacrifice is a virtue. They present it a lot of times at Christmas time, you know, the spoiled kid that, you know, within an hour and a half, everything gets resolved and in Hollywood. So within an hour and a half um, of that show, um, the kid goes from being spoiled to wanting to go out and find some homeless, hungry child to share his bicycle with. Um, or, I don't know how that helped a homeless, hungry child, but he has a new bicycle now. Um, and that transformation. So the world knows that sacrifice is a genuine, the, perhaps the genuine form of love. But does the church, do we understand that? God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. Not for himself, for us. And in obedience to the Father. He's out of that equation. What was in it for him? Suffering? Separation? Death? Maltreatment? He did it because he wanted to glorify the Father and serve Sinners. Why are you here? Are you here to do the greater work? What is the great work that Jesus talks about? Greater works than these you will do once the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You cannot miss the connection. I will send the Holy Spirit. You're going to do greater works than I do. And what is the, those greater works? It is serving one another through the spiritual gifts the Spirit produces in you to care for each other. As an expression of our love for God, I want to give God the glory by serving laterally sinners. That's right. Saved sinners in the church. Imperfect people who are going to let you down, who aren't going to say thank you, they aren't going to send 
thank you cards. They aren't going to bring glory to you. They are going to hopefully go home and thank God for His Spirit gifting you and your willingness to use that gift. Are we prepared for that kind of sacrifice? No. And I've had people walk away from ministry because, oh, it's not satisfying me. Nobody appreciates it. Um, you just kind of take me for granted. Yeah, I do. I take for granted that everyone in the church loves one another enough and desires to honor God enough to use your gifts, end of statement, period. Not use my gifts as long as you're appreciative. If I used that standard in my own life, I would have stopped preaching about 25 years ago. Yeah, that's after like a few months. <laughs> a few months of preaching, I've been done. Forget this. These are the works that we must do. And they are great. And oh, that they would penetrate our praying. Lord, how can I minister to them? 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 Lord, multiply my opportunities to minister. My wife and I pray that all the time. We just want to minister. Lord, multiply our opportunities to minister. And that comes in weird ways that we weren't really expecting, but, but we jump on it because we realize this is an answer to prayer. You see, opportunities to minister mean that people are going to go need ministry. They're going to be hurting. They're going to have needs that are substantial sometimes. Are we prepared to minister our love one to another? Is it in your prayers? When these are absent from our prayers, our prayers for the lost and our prayers for the spiritual needs, for the physical needs, for the, for the relational needs among our number, if these things are absent, no wonder our praying is ineffectual because we have rejected the very greatest works of God in our midst and we have settled for silly temporal things. Oh, I want this ache or this pain to go away. Oh, that we would have more substance and purpose in our praying because we want to do the work of the Father. Oh, that we would do greater works and stop emphasizing the tools to do the work and start praying that the work be accomplished and let there be a variety of tools. God wants to use a, heal, a healing, let him use a healing, but oh, that we understand that when he heals our body, it's still going to die one day. It still is going to keep getting old. It still is going to fail. And so if you go to the hospital, I will pray for you. If you're sick, I'll pray for you. But that is the, the minimalistic prayer that is not the greatest prayers that you're going to get from your pastor. It's going to be, oh Lord, transform them more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And if that means they have to suffer, that means I have to suffer. If we have to have tragedy and hardship to love one another and care for one another, to use our spiritual gifts more, then I welcome it. I'm prepared. Are you? Are we ready to love one another to the point that we will engage our spiritual gifts on multiple levels and for zero interest for ourselves? And whether anyone knows about it, is thankful about it, or appreciates it, <clears> oh, <throat> we would serve. When people do come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not going to do this anymore because it's just not satisfying, it's not, uh, no one appreciates it, I tell them, well, you're done. 
Not because they don't want to do it, but they're done because they've been doing it for the wrong reason the whole time. So no wonder it couldn't be blessed because you're doing it to receive the accolades of this world. You are being Ananias and Sapphira. You're lying even as you're ministering. Oh, that we do the greater works. The great works of God in the church. That we would minister the gospel to the lost around us. That we would minister in loving care for one another through our spiritual gifts. These are the greatest works you can engage in. You disconnect yourself from these two. No wonder we have no joy. No wonder we have no peace. No wonder our prayers aren't answered. No wonder the love of the Father is not experienced in our lives. Because we are amiss. We do not grasp the great works that God wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its rebuke today. And we all have that. Lord, help us to have our thinking renewed by your Spirit with regard to what kind of works we want to do for your glory. That we would choose the greater works. That instead of the flashy ones, we would choose those that require sacrifice, that are driven by love. Love for the lost that you died for, love for one another who we call our brethren. Lord, by your Spirit's power to bring to our mind what we need to say to those who ask the reason of the hope that is in us. That we do not need to prepare programs. We need to prepare our hearts and our lives to be responsive to your Spirit's work. Lord, our prayers you might raise up each one here to put into practice their purpose for being this body. You might give us that kind of love. Lord, you have. Help us to choose. Help us to follow your Son, Jesus Christ, in this area. Thank you for your word, declaring these great works that you've entrusted to us to perform not by our own power, by the power of your Spirit, but by our faith to trust in you. The praise says in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.